Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's 2 p.m. in Memphis. Giannato and Jeffrey time. Get off the fence. Live on Memphis's sports station. 92.9 FM ESPN. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Giannotto and Jeffrey Show. We're coming to you live from Memphis, Tennessee. My name is Jeffrey Wright. You can follow me on Twitter at jwright929 ESPN. Dennis Fuller's producing the program for us. We're glad that he is with us. Let's get you up to date on how the show will go today. Mark is currently down at Memphis Grizzlies practice. He's waiting for the media availability portion of practice to speak with the team. So as soon as he becomes available, we're going to get him on the phone for Tell the Truth Monday. Tell the Truth Monday, I think, is going to stem largely from a couple of thoughts that I have from the first Six weeks of total football, but we've also had seven weeks of college football. We're going to get into one of the local topics of conversation, the quarterback play of the University of Memphis. But there's a few thoughts that I have looked a little bit deeper into to see whether or not my eyes match up with what the numbers say. So I wanted to get into that. Also, another big week of college football. We got the Ohio State-Penn State game, a big one for the Big Ten East. Also have a few other big games, including, of course, the third Saturday in October. We got Tennessee and Alabama. There's a big one down on the Plains, at least for the head coach down on the Plains. We also have Utah-USC to get to and more. We'll get some thoughts from Tim when he joins us here in about 35 minutes or so. We will get into the list. Also, during the second hour, we'll get into the baseball playoffs. We'll get into Tell Your Story, and then we will get out of here. But I suspect uh, most that at least follow me online or at least listen to the show expect for today to be a victory parade of sorts. And I'm here to tell you that's not necessarily the case because – My opinions on Justin Herbert are not based upon 
I'm going to go against a popular movement and I'm going to die on this hill. I think anyone that at least, even if you don't like me, I think you can at least acknowledge when I formulate an opinion, it is based upon what I've seen. I'm here to tell you, though, it's not going to be a victory parade because the truth is exactly last night went the way that I expected it to. I have a flow chart. Is Justin Herbert playing a playoff caliber team? If the answer is yes, fade him. If he's not playing a playoff caliber team, you should take him. The numbers have bared this out even back to his days at Oregon. He lights up bad teams at an unbelievable rate. Look at the Vikings game. Ironically, the only throw that I felt like he even missed that day was a dropped interception that resulted in the touchdown. But if you look at the games that he has been at his best this year, it's been against the Raiders and it's been against the Vikings. While I'm not sure the Titans are still a playoff caliber team, it's still a playoff caliber defense, or at least when he played them in week two, it was a playoff caliber defense. Tough road environment. Titans coming home after dropping a tough one in New Orleans. It was a tough physical defense. But let's take, for instance, the Miami Dolphins game. Because if you just look at the numbers from that game, you're left thinking that I'm insane. Look at how many points the guy put up. Look at his numbers. And that's largely the argument for Her- for Herbert. All the guy does is put up 5,000-yard passing performances. Look at all the touchdowns. And my argument has never, and I think somehow it got misconstrued, my argument has never been that Justin Herbert's not a good quarterback. I think he's a good quarterback. When we did quarterback rankings last year, I had him at like seven. I think it's undeniable that he is a top 10 quarterback. I would never argue against that. The problem that I've always had with the conversation, with the argument, and this is largely from what I've kind of sifted through, it's largely draft gurus. And what I'm more confused by is, is the draft guru argument an anti-Tua Tonga-Vailoa argument? Or, and I think this is probably likely the case, draft guys fall in love with arm talent. And you cannot watch Justin Herbert play a game and be left feeling anything but impressed with his arm. He has a truly special arm. I'm not taking Justin Herbert over Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow doesn't have a special arm. The problem that I've always felt with making the argument an arm talent discussion is if quarterback play were as simple as whoever has the biggest, strongest arm would be the safest bet, well, scouting quarterback would be pretty easy. Furthermore, I did not like Josh Allen coming out of college. I remember watching Wyoming play. It's funny how it kind of swings. 
I remember watching Wyoming play. I was sitting with a buddy at Fox and Hound, and we were watching the Miami or the, we were watching the Wyoming bowl game one night late December, and had no idea who this guy was. But it was very obvious right off the bat. You're like, ooh, this guy's got something. Well, then when the argument started becoming Josh Allen should be the number one draft pick in that class, I was not about that. I had formulated my opinion. I just did not think you can teach accuracy. Now, it invites a few other questions, which I think are also interesting. When projecting college to pro, is that an easy is that an easy proposition narrative obviously comes into play at certain points in this ohio state quarterbacks for instance they've not had a very good track record in the nfl is there a houston texans f- play- fan on the planet that's not happy with cj stroud he went to ohio state He had the wealth of receiver talent that they've had. Guy looks like he can play. Looks like he belongs in this league, and it looks like you have to be open to the idea that he might be the best quarterback taken. I still think it's way too early for Bryce Young on that. But I also had a legitimate concern with Bryce Young during the draft process. I used to to believe that a lot of the height concerns – were oftentimes flaws in scouting. That is definitely applied to Baker Mayfield. There's no question part of Baker's struggles are balls get batted down. He has to work harder to make throws. Now, it didn't matter with Drew Brees, but Drew Brees is a different type of quarterback than Baker Mayfield is. Drew Brees has a much quicker release. Drew Brees ran a much different style of offense. And it's not always an easy fit. But with the Herbert conversation, I think the thing that has actually interested me is why the late game struggles. And this is not the first time, and... I went to school with a lot of Chargers fans, and believe me, I've had this argument before, and you can even sense even they are coming down to it. But let's take two games in particular this year. Let's take the Dolphins game, and let's take the Cowboys game last night. In terms of style of play in that game, those games could not have been any more different. You could tell right from the get-go, week one, Dolphins-Chargers was going to be a track meet. You could sense it, and it delivered. It was an absolute track meet. Last night, you thought maybe after the first, even though the Cowboys went three and out on their first possession, Chargers went, get a good punt return, go right down and score. Cowboys get it back, and then they put together a really good drive, and they score, and you think, oh, well, now that the Cowboys started throwing on early downs, this game could turn into a track meet. That was not what the game turned into. The game turned into largely a punt fest. 
so the question for me was why the late game struggles for Herbert? Because if you think back to the last possession against the Dolphins, Vic Fangio essentially brought the house against Herbert in a fashion that he had not done all game. The Cowboys, for the most part, that last possession, they started bringing the blitz in a fashion that they had not during the game. So I make I make a note of that. Because as someone who watches football on both Saturdays and Sundays, a trend that we had seen in the last five years in particular, and honestly, maybe even a little bit before, but I've admitted on the program, time stands still post-pandemic, five, the last five to ten years. Essentially, since the rise of RPO-based spread offenses. The defensive counter for most teams has now become, we're going to sit back in coverage, we're going to go up and tackle, and we're not going to allow you to have the explosive play. Well, if you look at why a team would all of a sudden start blitzing when they haven't blitzed, late-game situation, you're not as you're not as concerned about making them drive the length of the field. The Chargers had roughly two and a half minutes to play. I think maybe been 2.23 to play. And you're not going to just sit back in coverage and let them dink and dunk and go get into field goal range. The same situation for the Dolphins. The Dolphins were actually in a, a worse spot because Saunders had missed the extra point. A field goal would have beat them. So all of a sudden, you've decided... We got to heat him up. Let's see if let's see if we can make a game-changing play. And both those games ended in very similar fashions. Two sacks on third and long and on fourth and long, and it was game over. The reason I bring all this up is even dating back to Herbert's days at Oregon, there were legitimate questions about late-game situations. Now, at Oregon, his head coach is now the coach at Miami, Mario Cristobal. That man does not manage late-game situations very well. So I was willing to give him a pass. But I think what you see now is what's going to be interesting about Herbert moving forward because... Players can improve. Players can get better. I don't understand why he seems to struggle so much against the Blitz. But the numbers bear it out. Particularly in the fourth quarter, he's the most heavily blitzed quarterback in the league. If you go to the Titans game in week two, the Chargers had first and ten from the Titans' twelve and kick a field goal. They get the ball and go three and out immediately in overtime. Titans get the ball, they go score, and they win. But more largely, I started to wonder, okay, are we just seeing defenses in the NFL now playing this generation of quarterback, which largely grew up playing seven-on-seven, largely grew up playing 
in RPO-style offenses, are we seeing NFL defenses go, well, screw it, we're just going to do what they do in college, which is limit the explosive plays, keep everything in front, and then when we get into the red zone, when windows get tighter, we'll see if they kick field goals. It's interesting because my first inclination was that feels more applicable this year than it did in previous years. However, the numbers do not actually bear that out. So a couple of notes. Through 95 games this season, 58 have gone under 35 hit the over, two were pushes. Total points per game, on average, 43.3. Last year, we had 56 games through 95 games hit the over, 34, I beg your pardon, 56 games hit the under, 34 hit the over, and only one was indeed a push. So, and when you also look at total points per game, it was 43.7. So actually, scoring's down about a half of a point, but I don't think anyone would say that's all that significant in 95 games. Because one of the real questions, though, is whether or not red zone efficiency that we're watching in the NFL has anything to do with the style of game. I think most people would sit, would kind of argue the games don't feel as fun, at least this year. Well, usually when you hear games don't feel as fun, let's be real what that typically means. That means there's not as much scoring. Scoring's largely the same. But what I do find interesting when you look at the numbers, the biggest key difference between this year and the last 10 years of data, we do not have the level of quarterback play that we've had. And we've seen a lot more ebbs and flows. You get teams like a team like the Bills where weeks two, three, and four, they felt like the juggernaut. The London week started extremely sleepy. Second half, they picked it up, but then you see this week with the Bills, and you could just tell, like, they did not have it offensively. Really, the only team that has almost week-to-week shown up has been the Dolphins, and you'll never guess who the best red zone team is in the NFL. It's the Dolphins by a mile. The Dolphins are turning touchdowns in the red zone at over 80%. So when they get to the red zone, they leave with a touchdown 80% of the time, and that is Far and away, the best mark. The next closest uh, is indeed the Bills, while the Dolphins are averaging nearly a half a point more per play or per drive than the Bills. We're in a weird transition period in college or in the NFL. How much longer do we have Aaron Rodgers? Who knows? We're done with Brady. Peyton Manning's done. 
Breeze, done. Rivers, done. Roethlisberger, done. We're ushering in a new generation of quarterback, but the key difference to me with this generation of quarterback is most of them grew up in RPO-style offenses, and RPO-style offenses work at the high school and the college level much more than they work at the NFL level simply because in the NFL, you're not allowed to block downfield at the rate you can in college. All the time, you will see an offensive lineman six yards, seven yards down the field, and someone's throwing a bomb straight up the field. Why? Because the safety had to honor the run, the run fake, and it left a wide-open space, and someone threw a wide-open touchdown. But think back to last night, and a guy that takes plenty of criticism, Dak Prescott, to me, the key difference in the game last night was late game, had to make the big throw, and he got blitzed too. He came up with more big throws than Justin Herbert. He did miss Tony Pollard on the wheel route. I mean, it could have been a kill shot. I still don't know what to make of it. Did Pollard break it up field a little too soon, not carry the out out? Did he get Tugged, which I think he clearly did. I was fine with them letting it go, but they just miss on that. Whereas Herbert had two wide open throws that could have changed the game and missed. Also had a pick six dropped on the end of that possession. And then finally couldn't get the job done. But more importantly for tell the truth, I think we need to get used to this style of football. We are going to watch a lot of games where it feels like teams are going to move the ball up and down 20 to 20 or 25 to 25. And then what's going to differentiate the best teams from the rest are going to be what they do in the red zone. Why has Georgia largely this year felt like they're just not quite as good? Well, on a down to down basis, yards per play, Georgia has largely been the same team. Where have they not been as good? The red zone. Why have they not been as good in the red zone? Well, they've lost several weapons, but I also think a big part of it is Carson Beck, who I think is playing pretty good football, he was not the rushing threat that Stetson Bennett was. Why has Alabama been not as good in the red zone this year? Well, their quarterback, who's a tremendous athlete, he is one-dimensional. And in the red zone, he can't just throw it deep. Well, last year, Alabama has one of the true magicians of college football of extending a play and making things happen and throwing great, you know, throwing great passes. Why has Ohio State struggled in the red zone? Well, they're playing a young quarterback. C.J. Stroud's not there anymore. But I do think we need to get used to this style of football where it's going to feel like, all right, who's doing the best in the red zone? And that's kind of where you go. No surprises here. The team that is the best in the red zone in the NFL, the Dolphins, the Bills. Ironically, the Patriots, they're very good in the red zone. The problem is they never get to the red zone. That's another big problem. So it's not necessarily 
what you do in the red zone. It's getting to the red zone. And the Niners are right behind them. Which brings us to a growing discussion locally with the University of Memphis. The conversation is now centering on Seth Hennigan. I know GP has made the argument, and honestly, on paper, I I don't find the argument to be that debatable. GP's argument is that Seth Hennigan is the worst quarterback since the piano man. Well, that's Paxton Lynch, first-round draft pick. Riley Ferguson, extremely productive college quarterback. And Brady 1.0. Brady White. I don't know... I don't know exactly what to think about it because it's not a true apples-to-apples comparison. Paxton Lynch had Justin Fuente. Justin Fuente is a very good offensive mind. Riley and Brady, for Riley's entire career and for most of Brady's career, they had Mike Norvell. Mike is extremely good at scheming up explosive big plays. When I watch Memphis's offense from a scheme perspective, I don't watch and say, well, they're, they're running a bad scheme. Now, I do think it's important to note, very rarely do I watch Memphis's offense and see them set something up and get a guy wide open. Is that Seth's fault? I think the other part of the conversation is Tim Cramsey, the offensive coordinator. There were lots of Marshall fans when he left to take the Memphis job that were happy. I would also say in Tim's defense, he had Grant Wells. Virginia Tech looks like a completely different football team now that they don't have to play Grant Wells. Is this Cramsey's fault? Is this Seth's fault? Furthermore, while I think it's undoubtedly the weapons are much improved from this year to last year, how many NFL skill guys are on this team? The aforementioned Tony Pollard had arguably the most impactful game, most impactful play of the game last night. For the Cowboys. Antonio Gibson. Made big plays. Calvin Austin. Had a Sunday night football grab. One of the biggest touchdowns we've seen of the year. For the Steelers. Explosive, explosive guys. I see good players. I don't see explosive players. On the team. Now. Do I think. Mike would probably scheme up some explosive plays better than Tim Cramsey. Probably, but it's not really knowable. 
I mean, there are plenty of Florida State fans that have not been happy with the offense until this year. I think where I net out with Seth, for tell the truth, is is he the best player in the league? No. Is he the biggest problem this team has? No. I think Markin made this point over the summer, and I think he was spot on. And I think through the first six games, we've seen this play out to be true. If you're handing the ball to Seth and saying, we need you to go win the game, he's not good enough to do that. If you tell Seth to drive the bus, he is good enough to do that. He'll make some throws. He'll miss some throws. Is this all his fault? No. But the two games where you needed him to put the drives together to keep you in it, he didn't do that. Now, in fairness to Seth, how many of the aforementioned quarterbacks would have done that with this collection of talent? We don't know. Paxton's NFL career was a bust. How much of that was physical? How much of that was mental? Off the field? Who's to say? Riley Ferguson? No NFL future. Brady was not an NFL guy. They did have NFL guys around them. That makes it a lot easier. I think what will be interesting to watch, the biggest problem that I've seen so far from Seth, I do not like the speed at which he's processing the game. Everything feels slow. You can almost feel him counting in his head. First read, second read, third, check down. The hope is, by year three, that that would be sped up. Now, the other argument that I do find interesting and am willing to entertain, I don't know if this is a perspective question or if it is a reality question. I think most Tiger football fans would feel his best year was his freshman year. That year was with Kevin Johns. Kevin John's not here anymore. Now, I also think it's fair to point out when you're starting a true freshman, your expectations are lower. And now the expectations have grown. The problem is he largely feels like still the same player. I still, though, believe that he's not the reason they're 4-2. Could he have made them 5-1? Perhaps. 
it still wouldn't have changed the argument against Missouri or changed the issue against Missouri that you couldn't cover them. Could they have beaten Tulane? Perhaps. Still doesn't change the issue that you haven't, you did not really block them very well, particularly in the second half. Is he lifting this team and carrying them to a conference title? Well, he isn't yet. He still has six games to do so. But I do not believe that he is the fundamental fundamental reason that this team is sitting at four and two rather than five and one or six and zero. Oh. He is a reason. He's a quarterback. That's part of the position. Like you, by and large, will get way too much credit, and by and large, will get way too much blame. But that's where we sit. All right, when we come back, let's talk more college football. Bigger picture. We'll do that with Tim Murray next, right here on Giannotto and Jeffrey. 92- Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Jonathan, ESPN. Giannotto and Jeffrey broadcast live from the Red River Toyota Studios. Check out Red River Toyota in Wynn, Arkansas. This hour of G&J is brought to you by the Next Generation 10G Network. Only from Xfinity. The Giannotto and Jeffrey Show on 92.9 FM ESPN. Tim Murray is the host of V-CIN Primetime, airing live weeknights from 5 until 8 p.m. He's also the host of v College Football Betting Podcast. Follow him on Twitter on X at 1TimMurray. Tim, did Washington win that game or did Oregon lose it? Yes. Both? You know, it's funny. I, I love the game. Um, you know, I think Dan Lanning, I, I loved his answer yesterday talking about you know, hey, I'm a big boy. You know, this is, uh, you know, he didn't get all defensive like we see a lot of coaches uh, get. <coughs> Mario. Uh, Excuse me. Um, did, they, 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 you know, they turned around and played tremendously. Uh, oh, wait, no, they didn't. Um, they did for a half. For a half. For a half. Yeah. I mean, all that NIL I mean, money we really do going see, to good we use. We do see why Mac was, was blatantly, uh, very, very openly, campaigning for Tez Walker. Yeah, he is awesome. Holy he cow. Is, he is awesome and uh, puts a new wrinkle into, mm-hmm. uh, into the ACC. That is for sure. But, you know, 
I kind of think Oregon's the better team. Not like overwhelmingly, but if I if you made me pick today those teams playing in, I don't know, Las Vegas and I don't know, December, I would pick Oregon. And that's what brings me to this, ladies and gentlemen. Why is Bo Nix 30 to 1 to win the Heisman Trophy? Um Okay, Mike, I will say Michael, this. Michael didn't you Penix. feel like didn't you feel like Bo had the better completion percentage, and he kept it moving. I just felt like every throw Penix made was way more difficult than Bo. Like, Bo, I guess he had that one, like, seam route that was a good throw. I think the problem with Bo is, like, in the end, fairly or not, like, we can't forget Auburn, and then every time it comes for him to, like, make a big play, I feel like he's checking it down. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. I mean, he's got 17 touchdowns, one pick. And I, I think it, it all comes down to a price when it, for me, right? Like, Sure. I, I'm looking at the odds right now for Heisman Trophy, and Michael Penix is, you know, minus 130, which is, which is kind of crazy. I mean, it's October 17th. We've got half the football season still to play, and Michael Penix, you have to lay a price for him to win the Heisman Trophy. You look at... Jaden Daniels is around twelve to one. Dylan Gabriel ten to one. Drake May fourteen ish to one. Um, I mean JJ McCarthy ten to one. Jordan Travis twelve to one. I just feel like Bo Nix should be in the same ballpark as those guys. He should be in that teens type of range. So uh, for Oregon, and then I look at this too when it comes to Oregon, and how does the Heisman Trophy get voted on? It's eyeballs on these games. Oregon just had the most watched game in college football last week with the Oregon Washington game. Granted they lost, but it wasn't because of Bo Nix, who was 33 of 44 for 337. Michael Penix probably made the bigger plays, the more splashy plays, the more pro throws. But let's look at the schedule moving forward. ABC against Washington State this week. On the road at Utah. They get to host USC. And then their final regular season game is on Fox at 8.30 Eastern against Oregon State on Black Friday. So I just think there's a lot of opportunities out there for that number to come down, especially if Oregon is playing on a Friday night here in Vegas against Washington yet again. So I, I'll tell you this, though. I would not touch Michael Penix to win the Heisman Trophy. Oh, I mean, no, that's like the classic, can I short this? You can. So, And that's the thing. You can short it. You can bet the other side. There are no markets out there. Uh, here in, in Vegas, Circus Sports, minus 125 on Michael Penix not to win the Heisman Trophy. So you're basically betting a field price against Michael Penix Jr., which I think is worth a bet. I mean, this time last year, C.J. Stroud was... I was going to say, how many, times uh, is the guy, how many times does the guy in October win? Well, think about... I went back and looked it up. It was the... Is Cam the last one? Maybe Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson was pretty... Because he had that Florida State game in like late September that kind of put him on the map to, take, to win the Heisman. And then he had the Clemson game, and that was pretty much wrapped it up. Um, Tebow... In uh, when he won it, what was, was that? Freshman. O, 07, was that right? And yes. then. Yes. 06, he was the whatever, the wild, whatever. He was, you know, the Tebow yeah. power package. And they won 07, the title yeah. with Chris Leak. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you think, I think back to Leonard Fournette at LSU. He was like minus 150. I want to say like minus $2, something crazy like that. And then they went to Alabama and he had like 30 rushing yards. 
And then he didn't even get invited to New York City. So I just think there's a ton of quarterbacks out there. And unlike last year where Caleb Williams won the Heisman Trophy in the regular season finale against Notre Dame, and then nobody that weekend was going to take it from him. Max Duggan wasn't going to take it from him. Um, you know, Stetson Bennett wasn't going to take it from him. Bryce Young wasn't even playing in the SEC championship game. This year you probably are going to have the Heisman Trophy decided on that weekend, whether it be Dylan Gabriel, whether it be J.J. McCarthy, um, Drake May, potentially, Jordan Travis. Um, I don't – I mean, Jalen Daniels' numbers are awesome, but, man. Can okay, trust, so – Can you trust that defense? N- no, but how many other teams – here's here's would be the Jaden Daniels argument. Jaden Daniels' profile is going to be the most similar to Johnny Football winning the Heisman. Where that but team is, lost, but is he gonna beat? But is he gonna beat the juggernaut Alabama? Well, he has to beat. He has he to gets, beat Alabama. But they both are get. They both. Johnny Football got that Alabama game in November, and I mean the one thing that I do think the one spot where I think you can give Alabama problems, if you can go score, I don't know if they can keep up. What we've seen the last few weeks is they've been able to get out in front and nobody can come catch them. But, like, even last week when it came, like, all right, they need to go score to kind of make this one, put this one away. They couldn't do it. Daniels could have the Alabama game on the road where that Johnny football had. Yeah, and, I mean, look, Jaden Daniels, you could find as high as 14-1. to 1. I wouldn't fight you on betting that. I just think Bo Nix, what's ahead of them and his numbers so far this year and how complete that team is and, honestly, how this award has really become – the best quarterback on a playoff the, team. And like the last week of the year. <laughs> right. It, it really comes down to that. That's why I think there's a lot of people waiting out there. And and I bet you some people are like, J.J. McCarthy, 10-1, to 1, why? Because Michigan looks awesome, and they have two enormous games in late November, and the most-watched game each every college football season has now become Ohio State-Michigan. If he plays his butt off against Ohio State, He's he's gonna be like three to one, two to one. He might be the favorite, you know. So that's why JJ McCarthy's odds are as low as they are. His numbers are okay. I mean, he's you know he's thrown fourteen touchdown passes. He hasn't thrown a bunch of interceptions. He could run a little bit, but I don't think anybody out there is like, man, JJ McCarthy definitely got to win the Heisman. But that's why the odds are that low. It, it's really become kind of almost like tread water, tread water, tread water, and then boom, go win the Heisman Trophy. Here's what actually fascinates me of the scenarios that you're laying out. It's less the Heisman. It's the Oklahoma, if you look at their remaining schedule. It'll be stunning if they're not undefeated. Correct. into the Big 12 championship. Texas is the same. I would be, yes. I would be, so I would be very surprised if Oklahoma-Texas is not 12-0 versus 11-1. That would be surprising. It's less clear with Oregon and Washington. I think Washington loses a game. I, I, that defense, I think, is still good. Gettable. So I'm with you. I, I have more faith in Oregon getting there than I do Washington getting there. But at the same time, the Pac-12 does eat itself. But my question is, if we get rematches in both mm-hmm. and the one loss team wins both of them, what happens? A lot of scenarios. Um, I think Texas gets in. Um, because they have the win over Alabama on the road, which I think will always look good. I don't think Alabama is going to fall apart. I mean, let's say Alabama loses to LSU. Okay, so they are they're ten and two. They're probably top fifteen in the country at worst. So that's a really good win. Then you've 
avenged your only loss. I think Texas is in. I think the Pac-12 being as strong as it is, if you have a, I'll say this, if the Pac-12 has a one-loss champion, they're getting in this year because that, that conference is loaded. If it's a two-loss champion, that's where it gets murky. We've never had a two-loss champion in. Now, we've had situations where a two-loss team probably would have got in. Like if LSU had beaten Georgia last year, I think they would have got in as a two-loss champion, but obviously they didn't. Um, Here's the fascinating one because people have brought this up. What if Georgia loses to the SEC West champ at 12-0? Will they be undefeated? They'll they'll be 12-1. I think they get in because are they going to drop from one to five? But their schedule really, I mean, I guess Mizzou being better is helpful for them because they play Mizzou, they play Tennessee, they play Ole Miss. So they, they're going to have some semblance of a resume. But they need, you, they need those three teams to all be nine wins or better. But it's... But they're going to be number one in the ranking. I mean, I don't know. We'll find out. I mean, think Halloween. I think two weeks from today, we'll find out the first rankings. And maybe the the committee throws a curveball and says, but but here's the thing. Michigan will have played nobody up until that point as well. So, like, I'm very curious to see what the committee does because we're all predicating this off of the AP poll, which in theory – is not what the committee's looking at, right? They do their own thing, yada, 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 even though more often than not, it's pretty comparable. But Georgia, I guess the Georgia win over Kentucky is going to carry a little bit of weight, even though Kentucky just lost again, so maybe it won't. Um, I mean, what's Michigan's best win right now? Well, I mean, you're banking on Michigan beating Penn State and Ohio. Like, I don't but, see if... An- but what I'm saying is yeah. at the initial outset of the rankings... They will not have played either one of those teams. Uh, you want to you go in the Wayback Machine with me? Uh, can I interest you in a little game control? Oh, yeah. A little game control metric. I mean, that's, that's going to be Michigan's resume. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah, because they, they've dominated everybody. I mean, they have. They, I think they've allowed double digits in one game this year. <laughs> Uh, they've Which they've not hilarious. they've not allowed a team to get in the red zone right no to, at goal to, to goal. go they've goal allowed to go. them to get goal to the to red go. zone but not not that's that's a crazy stat I mean that that's, is that's crazy that like, that will be their their resume will be yes they've not had a strong strength of schedule but they have absolutely you know here's smoked my, folks here's my question because you know what you saw last is how everyone reacts right for sure so we just saw USC get absolutely dump trucked by Notre Dame's defense. The offense, actually, the USC's defense no, that's didn't the play irony. terrible. You, you, yeah. If you sit there and you saw 48-20, you would have been like, oh, well, someone finally got USC's defense. It's like, no, no, the defense was actually the good unit on Saturday night. Yeah, even though, I mean, I guess Notre Dame had, what, f- turned the ball over five times and scored five touchdowns off of those turnovers. Yes. So um, USC's going to beat a couple good teams. I mean, I'll tell you what, man. Neighbor Nick is lurking over the over the fence. He hasn't he hasn't popped over yet. I'll, I'll tell you when I want him. I want he, him. In, I want him in that Washington game. I think they beat him. I, I they're they're going to beat someone good. I'm telling you right now. I don't know if it, I don't. I think, agree with you. I don't think they have. I think they're also. I think they got another loss coming. Oh, definitely. I, I set the line at two and a half last week before the Notre Dame game, and I thought that was that was probably a little uh, aggressive, but they're 100 percent losing another game. I mean, they're not winning at Autzen. I'm sorry, they're, that's not happening. What's that, neighbor- te- that team's too f- physical. But but neighbor Nick kind of lurking over the fence and wondering about USC. That didn't they just get smoked? And now they're a touchdown favorite against Utah. So neighbor Nick's kind of lurking there, like, huh? He hasn't placed the bet yet, but he's 
He's thinking about it. Yeah, the thing is, though, they, he, also t- he also told me that Ohio State stinks. Okay, that's the question. I want to know, what's neighbor Nick thinking on this Penn State game? Oh, he's going to take the points. Come on, baby. Penn State. They're undefeated against the spread this year, don't you know? Six and they've and covered no. six of the last seven against the Buckeyes. Yeah. Well, Ohio State, what'd they do? They barely beat Notre Dame? Cool. I mean, come on. I think I want Ohio State. I'm just going to let this. Is it going to go down? See, the problem is, that from what I'm looking at, the money, the money's on Penn State, but everyone's like, we're cool with this number. Now, there's Grant, a, I know I know limits haven't opened, but there's a couple three and a halfs out there. But I'll be honest, like a couple. So the show after mine on Vsin, Matt Humans and Wes Reynolds, uh, two pretty veteran handicappers, and and uh, you know I could always tell Matt Humans who's who I do the podcast with on Thursdays, and I knew he wanted Penn State, and I asked him, I said, Hey, you bet Penn State? He goes, No. Yeah, uh, goes, we've all been there. Where you, uh, he goes, I think it's a square dog, and I'm like, I kind of do too. Uh, may I may I interest you in 2022 Michigan Ohio State, where yours truly for a month decided he wanted Michigan, and then when he saw the line and came game day, he laid it with Ohio State, <laughs> and that did not work out. That well. did not work out well for me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a funny week, man. It, it is. I mean, it's it's honestly kind of like. Not the same, but, like, I got asked countless times last week, why is Notre Dame the favorite against USC? And I was like, I don't know, because USC's not that good. And, look, I in my wildest imaginations, I did not imagine that occurrence. But I thought you know. it was – I'll be honest, though. I, I thought it was an overreaction to the Arizona game. Yeah, I think it was a little bit. And, you know, you know the, here's another interesting one this week is – like, Duke has proven to be pretty formidable. Yes. Defensively, they've got great coaches. But is this where the rubber meets the road? Is I'm, this, I can is tell this, you what I'm betting on. Florida State? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't because, think they – I think the difference is Duke, Duke – part of Duke being good physically is they don't respect your receivers, and right. so they kind of man happened, them up. Right. So, to your point, right, when Notre Dame played Duke, and had the crazy finish. I mean, let's remember the first half did happen. Yes. Duke couldn't move the ball. At now, all. I think Notre Dame's defense is better than Florida State's, but Florida State's got some dudes on that line, man. They will get after you. And Keon Coleman ain't on Notre Dame. So I, I do think um, uh, who's, the, who's the tall wide receiver whose name's escaped me for Florida State? He's a little banged up. Um, uh, Wilson? Yeah, Johnny Wilson. Isn't he a little banged up? So that's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, there's always a needle for that. But it's a night game down in Tallahassee. I I, I have faded Duke. Let's see. I faded Duke. Well, I faded them for the season, which is going to be a, a loser because I have under six and a half wins. Yeah, but, but you know like, what the great Riley part about Leonard, that is? Now you get to chase it. Yeah. Riley Leonard, like if he plays, he's not healthy. And like that offense is him running. Correct. And and their defense being physical, well, ah, uh, and, and now we've obviously learned that LSU's defense is complete garbage, but we didn't know that week one. But man, once they get those dudes out and go, like to your point, you made a great point about Duke, right? So the one game they've lost this year was Notre Dame, twenty-one fourteen, and Notre Dame was out without uh, two of their top wide receivers, 
Another one of their top wide receivers apparently had a hamstring injury, and they just loaded up the box. You load up the box against Florida State night-night. I mean, game over. Keon Coleman, I, heard, I think I heard McShay talking about uh, his top 10 prospects right now. He has Keon Coleman number 10. Well, I mean, like, he's the name, legit. An, name an NFL team that doesn't need a freaking 6'4", 225-pound receiver that can, that can go up and get it. Yeah. What's neighbor Nick doing with this Alabama-Tennessee game? Uh, I think neighbor Nick's a little confused on Alabama. He doesn't. He doesn't know because uh, I'll be honest. I was sitting there on Saturday, and they went. I took up, him. They, I took him. They, I took they go the up, points. They go up twenty four. I think it was twenty four six or twenty four three, something like that. I think it was twenty four six. And I'm looking at like the futures books, and I'm like, Is Alabama going to win the title? And then I watched the rest of the game. I'm like, No, they're not going to win the title. <laughs> but that defense is really good, man. No, that defense is that defense is national championship good. They're their line is criminally underrated because, like, I felt like all summer I kept hearing about LSU's defensive line. Give me Alabama's front all day. And those those DBs are so physical. This is one of those ones, though, where it's like... The, I mean, you know Tennessee more than I do living in the Okay, state, so, so here's the thing. They, they have gotten it together by running the football. But last week... This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 